Uh, welcome to uh, those listening on Spotify or on our podcast. We are glad that you're taking some time to uh, spend with us and uh, grateful to um, just grateful to, to, to look at his word together. Uh, and so hopefully you brought your Bibles, get them out. That is where we will be. Uh, before I get there, I need to say thanks to Gary for uh, speaking last weekend. It was nice that he was fine. Yes, I know. It was excellent. If you, um, if you haven't listened to it, I'd encourage you to. And I always say that, but I mean it this time. Like, it really was excellent. I'm glad you were off probation. And if you don't know what that's all about, listen to last week. Uh, it was uh, good. So I was at youth camp with, all, with a bunch of youths, and it was... Uh, Oh man, they tired me right out. And so, uh, but as I saw, you know, on the way home, I'm thinking, man, I wonder what happened at Kingsway. I wonder what happened at Kingsway. And so then I was, got, it was around my daughter and some of her friends. I was like, so I asked them, like, how, you know, the ones who were here, I was like, how was it? And one of them was like, oh, it was great. Gary was great. You know, you and him, you're such opposites, they said. You know, I was like, oh, and they're like, oh yeah, he's funny. He tells stories. He puts pictures up on the screen. And you, and all of a sudden I saw it in her eyes. She was like, she didn't know how to finish that sentence. <laughs> And so she's like, you, uh, and Beth, of course, my wife, jumps in to help. She's like, oh, yeah, you're the long-winded, boring guy. And then she jumps in and says, who cries a lot? And so I'm like, Gary is back on probation. If that's what I have to put up with after he speaks, it just isn't worth it. So, um, but we, <laughs> never mind, he'll be back sooner than later. We are on part nine of a series. can't believe we're doing a series that's nine parts, but it's not over yet. And actually, this is kind of a two-part in the nine, in the the large part. We'll be talking about this this weekend and next. Uh, So we've we've been in a series just encouraging people to build a biblical worldview. How do you see the world? It's like taking off your glasses and looking at it. How am I looking at the world? And if you've missed some of the previous nine, it'd be great to go back and look because we've asked this question. Do we think about everything in our lives biblically? Do we think Christianly about everything? Because if we're Jesus' followers, do we actually follow him? And uh, so we said, do we have a biblical worldview about everything? So we looked at a lot of stuff, like humanity. Are people good or, or evil? We talked about marriage, family, government. Like is Romans 13 our response? Just obey the government, whatever they tell you. That's, just, that's the Jesus way of living. We talked about that. We talked about sexuality. That was a tough one. Uh, we talked about Christianity, church. Last time I was here, we talked about suffering. And tonight... I want to talk about the topic of identity. We talked about it at the, the youth camp, and as I was there and listening to Becky speak, I was like, you know what? This is more than just something our youth need. This is something that we uh, as, as adults, as believers need. And so this is not the exact same message the youth are like, oh, I heard this before. Let me tell you, hearing stuff multiple times is good, especially if you're a man, right? <laughs> hearing things multiple times is good, especially if you're a man, right? See, that's what I mean. There they are, right? The second time, it c- connects, it clicks. So uh, we are gonna, we're going to chat about this for a little bit because it is such an important topic for us to, to, to consider. The dictionary defines identity as this. It's the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. It's, it's, it's who they are or what they are. The distinguishing character or personality of an individual. So it's like it's that thing that, that makes you, you. Like, you, you don't share identity, your identity, with, with anyone else. You are unique. And so there's lots of voices talking about identity. I mean, I'm not the first one. If you've, you, you hear doctors talking about identity issues, you hear um, in healthcare and teachers, politicians, universities, maybe your friends. Anybody heard of anybody who says, oh, hey, I identify as... You've heard that statement? If not, I don't know where you've been living, but there's so much of this things about identity, and and, uh, uh, it's this thought of, I identify as fill-in-the-blank, so that's who I am. My question tonight is this, is that true? 
is that true? And I can make some jokes about people identifying as different things, but it's really not worth offending people this early on in the message. Uh, and some are so easily triggered uh, and offended when it comes to this topic of identity. It's, it's like, just go on Twitter or whatever and mention something about, you know, I identify as a walrus and watch what happens. It, uh, it, people just, there's this, there's this whatever, this anger, this like, you're belittling stuff, you're attacking, and, and why is that? It's like it's such, it's so personal, it's so close to who we are that it's, it, 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 it's so easy to become easily offended. And in our culture, every, I, it's like being easily offended is like the new cool. And we have lost a lot in our, in our, in our civilization simply because we're just too easily offended. We can't have dialogue about things anymore because like, well, that, you know, that upsets me. Oh, okay, well, we won't talk about that. And, and that, that upsets me. Okay, we won't talk about that. And much of this series has been, we're going to talk about all that stuff that upsets. And so we want to talk about this because it's a sometimes confusing, unclear, undefined, and touchy subject because it's deeply personal. And most of us, when we think about identity, we think about inside. We think about in, internal. It's who I am inside. That's my identity. And it really, it's really, really important to know who you are. You know, you live your life, you make decisions based out of this, uh, who I am, uh, as well as through your worldview of how you see the world. So I'd encourage you, if you have uh, brought some paper along, take some notes. If you didn't, there's paper in front of you. Don't try and jot down everything that I say. Uh, though I did find a cool feature. You can listen to podcasts and stuff in like half speed, and then you can hear everything that I'm saying. Whereas here, maybe not so much, but I don't really care about that. I want you to hear what he's saying. What does he drop in your heart? Jot that down on a piece of paper, put it in your pocket. I guarantee you, you'll pull it out when you need it. Here's our thought. Culture offers us a number of worldviews when it comes to this topic of identity, but so does scripture. So let's talk about that tonight. Identity, identity is an internal reality. It's, it's, it's who we are inside. But what I found is most people don't realize how they come to understand their identity. They don't realize that this, this inside part of me, this who I am, is actually defined by out outer circumstances, outer contributors, and that's on purpose. If you're a Jesus follower, you'll see through scripture that we were designed that way, that the things outside would tell us who we really are on the inside. And so to, to start us off, I want to start with an event um, that happened, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about it, uh, some of the eyewitnesses to it. Uh, it was tax time, just like it is now. Everybody loves tax time. I mean, if you get something back, it's great, but in Israel, so much of this, the, the, um, their, their year was tax time. They would pay taxes for everything. I think Gary mentioned it last week about you know, the, the level of tax collectors. And there was, you know, Zacchaeus was one of them. Well, there's this tax time. And so these people try and trick Jesus. They're like, we're going to set him up. We're going we're gonna to ask him a question that he cannot answer. We're going to ask him, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Because we know, we know if he says yes you need to pay taxes to Caesar, all the crowds are going to stop following him because they hate to pay taxes. And if he says no, well then we'll just turn him over to Rome because now he's breaking the law and we'll get rid of him either way. And so they send a bunch of guys down like, we got him, we got him, we got him. Like, hey, Jesus. Hey, everybody listen up. We got to ask Jesus a question. Make sure you're all listening. Hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And if you know the story, he just, it's, he says, hey, okay, <laughs> I know what you guys are doing, so just give me a coin. Bring me, bring me a Roman coin. And so they bring him a coin, and Mark tells us this. Mark chapter 12, verse 16. It says, so they brought him the coin. And then he said to them, whose image? Just remember the yellow words. Whose image 
An inscription is this. And they said to him, well, it's Caesar's. And then Jesus answered and said to them, okay, render or give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then he says, and then give to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And we read this. He can read through it really quick. Oh, what a clever answer. But why was it so clever? You know, the image on the, the coin was Caesar's. That's, that's, that they, that's how they knew. This is who this belongs to because his image is on it. But what about that second part of Jesus' statement? He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You can obviously see it's his image on it. Give it to him. But who's, when he says, give to God what is God's, who's, what, what, on what is the image of God that he's talking about? How do you give to God? Where do I find the image of God that I'm supposed to give back to God the thing that carries his image? What does his image even look like? What is God? He's invisible. How do we know who's his image is on? Paul would later write to the Colossians that the, the one speaking to them was actually saying, you know, I'm the image of God. Uh, he writes in Colossians 1.15, he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. That not, not just physically, but the way he interacted with people. You want to know how God treats people? That's how. Look at how Jesus treats people. And he says, that is, that is the, um, the, the visible image of the invisible God. But the people in that, that the Colossians, they didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know what the God of the universe looked like, but they could understand when Paul is talking about Jesus. But the people Jesus was talking to in that moment, they were like religious teachers. They, like, they had memorized the first five books of the, of the, of the Bible, the Torah. They, they knew, they knew exactly that there was only one thing that God created that was created in the image of God. There was only one thing, and, and we're going to take a look at that, Genesis chapter 1. The reason why I start with Jesus is because sometimes people want to write off Genesis as, ah, that's a fairy tale. Jesus did not believe it was a fairy tale, and as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't either. And pay attention to this one. It says, Genesis 1, 26, this is how it all started. Then God said, remember that, he said, he spoke something. Let us make human beings in our, in our image to be what? Who, who did he create like that? Yeah, look around. He says, let's create man and uh, humanity. He says, let's make them in our image. Let's, let's make them to be like us. So God in verse 27, he created human, what? Beings. Beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So he's like, this is mankind. It's not just men. This is like men and women, humanity, Adam. He created them in his image, human beings, to be like him. And then we read, you know, all through creation, for those who went to Sunday school, when God created the sun and stars, and he said at the end of the day, he says, he created this, and then he said, it is good. good. Then he created some, you know, water and and land. He said, it is good. Then he made some plants, and he said, it is And fish in the sea, Good, and then, you know, trees and whatever else. Good, right. So then it says he makes man in his own image. It says this at the end, Genesis 1.31, on the last day after he creates everything, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was? Very good. Yeah, right. He adds a word. This word very is like this word like muchness, like exceedingly. He looks at everything he makes and he's like, man, it's very good. Like I created this person in my image. It's the final thing. And everything's very good, including these people I made, they're very good. They're like imago Dei is the word. It's, it's, it's in the image of God. And what does it say? He spoke this out. I think sometimes we, we miss the, the fact that he, in, in by saying they're very good, what is he doing? Just like any father over their child, he's speaking out their value. He's speaking out their significance, their worth, and their identity. He's speaking it out over them. This is who you are. You're very good. You're my creation. You're very exceeding muchness good. And then all that got broken. 
But we see a glimmer of it again later. And when Jesus got baptized, Jesus was getting baptized in the river. Matthew tells us in Matthew 3, 17, when, he, when Jesus got baptized, it's an interesting note. It says that when he came up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven that said, there it is again, something spoke, a voice spoke and says, what? This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. He speaks out this identity of who Jesus is. He's my son and he brings me great joy joy. He's, it's that same, it's those same in the Greek words as in the Hebrew words, the same meaning of this exceedingly muchness joy. I'm well pleased with this person, my son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he again speaks out this identity. It's a reminder for us on how identity is supposed to be determined and defined. He's like, this is, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you read the genealogy of Jesus, and I believe it's in Luke, Matthew and Luke share them, but you'll see that the very last person on the list is Adam. It says, it says all these people were the son of, son of, son of, son of, son of. It gets to Adam, he says, and he's the son of God. You know, we see this, this thing in the, in, where Jesus is being baptized. Like, hey, this is my son, and I'm like well pleased with him. It's like that same thought of, this is my son, Adam, and he is very good. I'm well pleased with, with who he is, this, with, with who you are. And he speaks that over him. It's like that's where Adam gets his identity. This is who he is. He's loved by God. He's accepted by God. Like he is very good. Anybody else can say, man, I'm very good? Yeah, I know. I can't either. But something's lost there. But here's, here's, here's how it gets lost. We go back to the garden. And it says God made humanity and said they are. Let's play along. God made humanity and said they are. You even at you at home listening, you even driving your car, just God made man and said they are very good. Genesis 1.26 is made in the image of God, to be like God, human beings. This is, this is how they were made. And then all of a sudden, enter the liar and enter the big lie. And he comes to try and deceive these good, very good, dearly loved, significant, worthy people. And how does he start? Did God really say? Wait a second, we just learned that God spoke over them of their identity. This is who you are. And all of a sudden out of here, did God really say? Did God really speak? And it begins to challenge this part of their identity. Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5, we see their response. Did God really say you can't eat from all those trees? And here's what their response is. He says, you won't die. Because they said, yeah, if we eat from the, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're going to die. And, and the enemy says, no, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened. As soon as you eat it, as soon as you do something, and you, what does it say? Will be like God. What did we learn earlier? Were they already like God? Yeah. yeah, they were created in his image. They bore his image. They were already like him. And what is the enemy's great lie is, hey, you're not quite here yet. Will be. You're not enough yet. As soon as you do something, you'll be enough. And that's that lie that humanity has believed and lived ever since. You are what you do. Your value is based on what you do. How much money you make, your job. It's why, you know, like people ask, oh, hey, what do you do? And you're like, you, 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 you level it up a little bit, you know? You're like, this is what I do. And, and it's the, the worth and why you got to keep up with the Joneses. This was all about as soon as I do, I will be enough. And guess what we find out? It's never enough. Pursuing identity in those ways never, never fulfills it. They find thinking the value and significance will be coming in what they do, but we forget one thing. Are we human doings? No, what do we say? He's going to create human beings to just simply be. I, like for myself, I know like I struggle with being a workaholic sometimes. 
I just can't just like slow down. The board's actually told me, you need to take a sabbatical. You need to take six weeks off. You're going to burn yourself up. But it's just that thought of like, can I just be and that's okay? Simply be loved. This is exactly what happened back then. Here's their identity. This is who they are. They're very good. They're dearly loved. And then all of a sudden their identity gets hijacked in that moment. I asked the youth this too. What happens when a plane gets hijacked? It's not good. You know, the, the plane gets hijacked. It was going in a certain direction. This is how God designed man. He's like, let me tell you who you are. Let me keep telling you who you are. And you live in that direction. And he's like, and we're going to be good. And they're like, wait, you know, that all of a sudden that gets hijacked by the enemy. He's like, no, no, you're not enough. It's not enough just who he says you are. You need to do something else. And what happens? The plane starts going. What happens with all the hijacked planes in movies? They go down in a ball of flames. And it's the same thing the enemy wants for us is to kill, steal, destroy. That man would no longer find their significance, their value, their identity, and who he said they would. But they would try and find it somewhere else. I don't know if you're familiar with the identity theft uh, issues we have in our, on our planet. But uh, people having their identity stolen online. And um, I had my credit card number stolen once. And somebody, whoever took it, they went and they like, applied for like, a whole bunch of those dating website subscriptions. Like 15 of them all at the same time. And Beth's like, what? No, it's, it's, uh, it was like, uh, like, believe me, honey, it's stolen, right? So we got, got a new one. But... I wasn't the only one that it happens to. 11 million Americans have their identity stolen every year. But as I was preparing for this, I was like, truthfully, every single person on the planet has been the victim of identity theft. It's like, this is who you are. This is who you're supposed to be. And that that was stolen. And ever since Adam and Eve had it stolen from them, everyone's been looking for it ever since. That age-old question, who am I really? Who am I really? You ever hear somebody talk about wanting to go find themselves? No? Yeah. My, yeah, I know. It's like, maybe it's you. But my brother, uh, I remember years ago, he was like, I got to go. I got to travel. I got to get away from all you people. I got to get away from everybody I know. I got to go find myself. So he went to China. And as he was in China, he lost his wallet. And so then he was like stuck there, lost his passport and wallet. And we just went after he got back and it was safe to laugh about. We were like chuckled. We we're like, yeah, he went to find himself and lost his identity right in the process. And it's like here, here, this thing of trying to find ourselves, it, 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 even in life, we, we realize that in the search for significance, we're in good company. It seems like everybody's got this longing on the inside to know who am I really well, our world offers solutions because it's by design. It's like we're going to find it from the outside. And the world offers us solutions. Their solution is called the big eight. This is their thing. This, this is the thing that say, these, this is what defines you. This is how you find your identity. It's in, it's in your age, your socioeconomics, your race, your sexuality, your ethnicity, your gender, your ability. Uh, and, and, and it just can, continuously goes around. But so many of these things change. Like the values of them. It's like age, you know, you're valuable because, you know, you're like in the workforce. And then, then you retire and like, eh, you know, you're, you're still valuable. But to what point, you know, when it's like, how do we treat those who reach a certain age? Well, it, it, it changes. Or socioeconomics, you know, you're doing really well. You're like the, the top dog of your, of your business. And then it's like, you know, there's this, all oh, this value ascribed to that. And it's like, you know, what happens when you lose it all? That, that, those are the things they say that affect your identity. And they all contribute, but none of them are the ones that actually hold the key to who you really are. You know, it's like if, you, if, if, if there's a brokenness on the inside and trying to take some of these broken parts in and of themselves and trying to like, oh, if I just could figure out what my gender is, I'll be happy. I'll know who I am. And that's the biggest lie going. 
And yet, if there's no alternative to that, that's all that they have to grab onto. Or it's my ethnicity, or it's my race. This is who I am. I'm connected to this group of people. And then there's this emptiness, realizing that we're not meant to be groups. We're meant to be individuals. God designed, and it's, it's broken. It's like trying to fix broken vehicles with broken parts. They just, it doesn't help. The truth is, though, those external sources, they do affect our internal identity. So back to the garden. Here we see God's response to this. You know, they, they take the fruit. Their identity is like hijacked. They're going the wrong direction. And then there's this response. There's this, this is how they respond to it. Genesis 3, verse 8. It says this, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from him among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man and said, Hey, where are you? Like he didn't know. Hey, where are you? And Adam sheepishly says, Well, I I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Because I was afraid. Because I was naked. Nobody wants to to shout that out. All right. I hid. I was afraid. I was naked. What's happening here? God comes back to the garden like he does every day. He's going to hang out with these very good, well-loved, significant bearers of his image. He's like, I'm going to hang out with my people, the people that I love dearly. And instead of running to him like they always did, they, they, they run away from him. What happened? I'll submit that their identity changed. All of a sudden, something in here was different. It was like, man, I, I, what is his words? I, I was afraid. I was naked. I'm vulnerable. I'm ashamed. So I hid. This is who I am now. And I'm like, I can't be around God. I can't be around him. And they live and they act out of that identity. And now we see God's response to this. He finds him hiding. And what does he say in Genesis 3, verse 11, the next verse? He's like, who told you that? So those aren't yellow and bolded in the regular, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, whatever, but they are for me. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you do not eat? Just leave that up there for a second. Who told you? What does he say? He's like, hey, it wasn't me. I said you were good. I said you were loved. I said you were the, the bearer of my image. So who told you that you need to be ashamed? Who told you that you need to hide? Who told you that you're naked? Who told you that you're vulnerable? Who told you that? Because I sure didn't. And I don't know about you, but I share with the youth, and I've shared it here many times, that I've seen this happen firsthand. That what the words spoken over us when they become our identity, they affect their lives in a huge way. I remember going to school and, you know, uh, having kids pick on me all the time. Grade six, I would cry every single day uh, at recess. And I would come back in and the teacher would have me sit there. And, and uh, he, him and I would have lunch together pretty much every day because I couldn't be outside. I didn't play well with the others. And, uh, it, it, like, they would say all kinds of stuff, right? Nobody loves you. Your last name's Vanderweird, Underweird, whatever, you know. They, they said, you know, you, like, I, I had freckles, really dark freckles back then. They're like, oh, you know. I was like, what's on your face? And I was like, oh, I have freckles. And like, no, you stood behind a screen and someone threw manure at it. That's what that is. And I was like, ah, I'd go inside. And, and the teacher would, he'd sit there with me. And then finally, like, after months, he's looking at me. He's like, this is like, this has got to stop. So he says to me, Mark, he's like, if you don't change, you're going to grow up to be a burden on society. I know you laugh. (laughs) I can laugh about that now too. But man, when I was in grade six, I'm like, man, if I'm going to grow up to be a burden on society, I don't think I want to grow up. And in that moment, the enemy started dropping thoughts. You're right. You don't need to. Just end your life. What's the point? There's no purpose to you. There's no, there's no reason you need to stay alive. And man, I began to entertain these suicidal thoughts. So my parents realized it and they said, hey, let's get this kid out of, out of there. This is not a good spot for him. They homeschooled me, pretty much saved my life. Was it true what my teacher had said about me? Was it true all those things that nobody loves you, all that? 
no, it wasn't true, but was it my identity? 100%. And I see the same thing that happens, you know, where it's like all these things are said, but I wish that I could have heard God's voice in that moment saying, Mark, who told you that? Because it sure wasn't me. And I wonder how many people around us listening online have that same thing, all these words going on in their minds and their thoughts, and it's just this thing that I just pray that you would hear this. Who told you that? Because it wasn't him. It wasn't him. You know, the problem is that others don't really know who you are. Those kids, the teacher, they, none of them knew who I really was. Only, only he does. And the problem is when others don't know you, there's problems. There's a story of John Dillinger in 1934. This guy, John Dillinger, uh, lived in Indiana, and he robbed banks, and uh, then they caught him, put him in jail. Well, he shot some guards, and he escapes, and then he goes and robs more banks uh, as a result. And they were chasing this guy, huge manhunt, trying to find uh, John Dillinger. Unfortunately for, well, not for John, but down the road, about 80 kilometers away, there was this guy named Ralph. Ralph Alsman, this is him. He looks just like John Dillinger, same mole, same scar on his arm, and uh, he looks so similar. This guy, because everybody's like, where's this man, where's this man, posted everywhere. Well, he got arrested 17 times because they thought he was John Dillinger, and he'd be like, no, like trying to talk them out of it. It's not, it's not who I am. It's not who I am. And then finally, they caught the real John Dillinger, like, oh, yeah, you're right. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. See, it's a problem when, when uh, others don't know who you are. It's a bigger problem when you don't know who you are. Ralph Alsman knew who he was. You know, I said the, this, uh, like, Ralph didn't get arrested 17 times. And then finally, the 17 times, like, okay, I must have done it. You know, I must have robbed the banks and shot people because people keep telling me that's who, I, that's who I am. But man, how many people, you know, you hear things all your life. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you just grow up? Why can't you just shut up? Why can't you just, why can't you be more of this? You know, man, like, whatever, whatever has been said. And it's like you hear it and you hear it and you hear it. And then all of a sudden you decide at some point, you don't even decide, you just own it. And it becomes who you are. I've been told that all my life, so it must be true. My question is, who told you that? Who told you that? Because if you don't know who you really are, I thought about this for the youth, you can be so easily manipulated into following the crowd. But I realize that's not a youth thing. Man, look at how many people who don't know who they really are, uh, they just follow influencers and whoever else is, um, whatever else is said in culture. We'll just believe what the majority believes and we'll just go down that route. That's why we're doing this series. What, is, what does scripture say? Who are we really? Who are we really? You know, when you hear the thing, everyone's doing it. It's not true. Well, everybody believes this. Not true. Well, all those people feel like if you would just get to this, if we could just agree on this, we would get there. Not true. You know, it's like all of a sudden, it's like if you're on the wrong side of the majority, the name calling and the branding happens. You know, you go to a protest or you go to Ottawa and all of a sudden you're an anti-masker, anti-vaxxer, you're a terrorist supporter. You know, you're a rebel, you're an unloving, you're a bad Christian, you're a bad pastor. And then the little voice goes on in the head, right? You're a sinner, you're no good, you're not enough, you're unloved, you're unworthy, you're ashamed, you should hide. You know, you get to that spot, you realize, you know what? I'm not who you say I am. Because I know who he says I am. I'm not who you try and define me. I know who I am because of who he says I am. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus came to the planet was not just to die on a cross and just save us. It was the, the idea is, oh, I just saved and go to heaven. It's to restore something, to restore the relationship that we have with him. Uh, like, the, you know, Adam and Eve walking in the garden, having a walking, talking relationship with God. That's what he desires for each of us. And then secondly, to restore a true understanding of your identity in him, to say, this is who you are. 
This is who you are. You know how we know that? The New Testament writers took time and effort over and over and over to say to the new believers, this is who you are now. You know, when you decide to follow Christ, it wasn't you just join a new club. You, something changes on the inside. You come back to who you were meant to be. It's like Paul writing from a prison cell. Hmm, what can I tell these people in Corinthia, in Galatia, in, you know, in Ephesus? Let me tell them who they really are. You want to see a little bit of who you really are? You're God's child. You're disciple. You know, you've been justified. You're accepted. <laughs> you're secure. You're, you're significant. There's all these things where he talks about you're his masterpiece. You've been uh, brought into his, um, into his family. You've been forgiven. You, you've been extended his grace. Like there's over and over and over. You see the things adopted, chosen. I mean, all these things, I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. Where did I hear that before? We just sang those words. Could you sing them with conviction that you knew that that's what it was, that I am welcomed, I am loved, I am free, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God. I'm ransomed, I'm no longer a slave, I'm chosen, not forsaken. I'm a child of God, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. To the Ephesians he wrote, you know what, you're his masterpiece. What's a masterpiece? If somebody, an artist has a masterpiece, what is that masterpiece? What is it to them? It's their best work. It's the absolute best. It's like the Mona Lisa. It's the most famous um, masterpiece ever. Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. This is the one known the world over. The one he, he was so proud of and others are as well. And, and God's like, hey, guess what? Bob, that's you. Not the Mona Lisa. You're his masterpiece. Rick, you're his masterpiece. Eugene, now I know your name. You're his masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. Nevaeh. Masterpiece. JT, you're his masterpiece. Like, Vanna, do you know? You're his masterpiece. You're his favorite. Don't tell Dave. But Dave, you're his favorite too. His masterpiece. I know, you don't like me pointing you out, sorry. But if you believe anything else about yourself, my question is this, who told you that? Who told you that? The list of who he says we are. And so closing, and like I sometimes psych you out with that. This is really the closing. God, God knows who you are, but do you? I hope tonight just stirs up this little bit of like this desire of like, man, I don't know if I know who he says I am. I don't know if I know it's him who's spoken this over me, and I need to know. Because until you fully know who he says you are, you'll spend your life trying your, to find your identity in everything else. In yourself, there's a big self-love movement on right now where you just got to love yourself, accept yourself, forgive yourself, be kind to yourself. It's all about you. And when you get there, everything's going to work out. And I can promise you it won't. You know, secular humanism is like, oh, humanity's great. Let's just, let's all find our, find our, you won't. What you'll end up doing is you'll identify with things like your own desires. You'll identify with, you know, your own appetites, your own past behaviors. Oh, this is who I am, and I'm an addict, or I'm whatever. You'll, you'll, or you'll identify with future accomplishments. I'm almost there. I'm going to get to this. You just watch. This is who I'm going to be. This is, I'm on my way. Or with certain groups. But every one of them will leave you empty. Every one of them will leave you empty. They do not have the ability to fully satisfy. So a biblical worldview would simply recognize this, that the truth about our identity is I have to find it in Him. I was designed to find it that way, and I will not find it any other way. I can only find it in him. He's the only one who can restore us back to our original identity of who he says that I am. And in ourselves, we'll never find it. We will only find broken parts to try and fix brokenness. We can only find it in him. 
Because as we read this whole thing, we say, oh, you know, I'm very good. I'm a very good person. <laughs> None of us could raise our hand to that. But in Christ, am I a very good person? Amen. <laughs> Amen. And am I righteous in him? 100%. Am I a sinner in him? Nope. Why? Because God sees me through him in Christ. In perfection, he sees me through that lens. Man, I'm glad his worldview is that. He sees us in Christ. And so here's the question. Are you in Christ? Because none of that identity stuff matters. It will only send you, because one of the things was religion. You can find your identity in religion. That's hogwash, because I can't say any other words online. Uh, but you can't. It's only in Christ. So the question is, are you in Christ? Let me leave you with this story. Um, there's a father and a son. They were art collectors. And they decided to go around and collect as many. They were wealthy, and they collected all kinds of art. And they kept it in their home. This isn't their home, but it's a picture of it. Um, so they would, they would find all these amazing pieces. And, and uh, together, they, they, they created this incredible collection, multi-million dollars. You know, and their son... He, uh, he'd hang out at the end of the drive. You can leave it up there. He'd hang out at the end of the driveway, and uh, he, he hung out with the commoner sometimes. And there was this one guy down there who, uh, he, uh, not as well-to-do, but they became fast friends, and they uh, would hang out quite a bit. And so after, after a number of years, the son ends up going off to war. And uh, as he's, he's away, uh, all of a sudden the dad gets this letter you know, that, that, that fateful day where the letter arrives and he opens it and he realizes and said, thank you, thank you, your son gave his life in service for his country, but he gave his life, lost his life doing it. And uh, the dad was just heartbroken. The guy down at the end of the driveway recognized and realized something had happened, found out the son had died, and he's heartbroken as well. And he knows the dad's all about art, and so the, this guy, he begins to paint. And he's not a good painter, but he paints as best as he can a portrait of this, this man's son. And he walks up the driveway, and he knocks on the door, and he hands the, as he answers the door, he hands him this painting of the son. And he says, you know, your son was a good friend of mine. And he says, I know you collect art. I'd like for you to have this. And the dad looks at this picture, and it's not good. It's nothing like any of his amazing works of art. But as he looks at it, he realizes, yeah, that's my son. This is who gave his life. This is the guy who was friends with that guy. Like, my son's more amazing than I recognize or realize. And, and he removes the, the fancy piece of artwork that's above his mantle, above his fireplace. And he puts this picture, this painting that this man made of his son. And it becomes his most cherished piece of art. He sits there and he sees it. He sees it every single day. It, it becomes his prized thing. Well, then one day the father dies. And uh, all the paintings are going to go up for auction, and everybody's excited, all the collectors, they realize, man, this is like where you can find the gems. This is where you can get the, the greatest ones. And so they show up all on the day of the auction. It's time, to, it's time to purchase these masterpieces. As they sit there in the auction house, the guy, whatever, the auctioneer comes out, hits the gavel, let's let the auction begin. He says, we're going to start with this first piece of art. It's this painting of the son of this man. We don't know the, the, uh, the, the artist, but this is the, the first thing. And, and they all look at it like, nobody wants to bid. Nobody wants this piece of junk. Let's just get to the good stuff. They're, they're even heckling from the back. And finally, he's like, like, will somebody give me $10? This hand goes up in the back. He's like, I, I'll give you $10, but that's all I have. I can't go any higher. Well, it turns out it's that guy, the guy who painted it. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the $10. And so the guy slams the gavel, sold, takes this. And so they're about to move on to the next pieces. And he slams the gavel again. He says, the sale's now closed. And everybody's like, look, what do you mean? We haven't even got to the good stuff. And he reads out what the father had written. 
He said, when you auction off all of my art, whoever takes the sun gets it all. And all the artwork went with the guy who had painted that picture. Made up story, but a powerful truth. Because the truth is the same about us. Whoever takes Christ gets the rest. You get the identity. You get the unconditional love. You get the purpose, the value, the worth. It all comes, but only if you take the Son. And that's the gospel. That's what his heart is saying, to to, to come back to the place of you are who I say you are. That when you say, God, I'm not going to live my life my own way anymore. I'm turning my life to you. I receive your forgiveness. I want to follow you. He's like, man, you're my child. Let me remind you now of who you are in Christ. Could you sing those words earlier with conviction? I am who you say I am. I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. This is who I am. Because those words are true, but do they ring true for you? Do they ring true for you? You think about Jesus, the very start with the story of the coin. You know why? <laughs> How did they, uh, what did that little coin, that little round piece of metal, like it was just, there was nothing. Why did it belong to Caesar? Because his image was on it. And why did this little piece of metal, there's lots of little pieces of metal, why did this particular piece of metal have any value at all? Because his image was on it. And the truth about you is the same. It doesn't matter in the myriad of people out there. Your value comes from whose you are and who he says you are. And as Jesus followers, I pray you dig in deep into that, that you know, that you know, that you know who you are. That no, no other voice from the outside, it doesn't matter. You've got the voice from the outside who now lives on the inside and says, this is who you are. You are my child and I'm well pleased. Can we pray? Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your words of life. They just they stir up hope in us. There's something in us, a longing for those words to be true. God, I thank you for what you've done in my life, for rescuing me, for the plans that you have for me and for the future yet. God, thank you for this church and the, the people that have been a part of this and your family, because you've called them your family. Lord, thank you for the, uh, in, each individual masterpiece represented here tonight. And for the plans that you have for each of them, Lord, I just pray that they hear your voice clearly, just leading and directing and drawing on them, reminding them of who they are. Lord, if there's people here tonight who don't know you or listening online who don't know you, I, I know you're so great at connecting with us where we most need to hear in a way that we most understand. And Lord, I just pray that their ears and hearts would be open to you, that they would come to know you as their Savior, as their Lord, as their King, as the one who gives them true worth and value. Father, thank you again for the gift of tonight. I pray that you're honored by what's happened here. I pray you're glorified in our lives as we go out and live them for you and with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, t- two thoughts. One, uh, maybe as you're listening or you got things, you're like, ah, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I just, I'm open to that challenge. I would encourage you, as always, would you email me? Not maybe your opinion, but email me from Scripture saying, hey, have you considered this Scripture? Because I think it goes differently than what you said. I would love, to, I would, I would love that because my hope is to have a biblical worldview as well. And, I, and that's the, the idea of growing together. And then some questions, some things just to, 
take home. Maybe they came as a family and drive home together. Uh, these would be some of the things. Or maybe you're going to circle up here tonight afterwards and just chat about some of these things. Uh, maybe you gathered at the youth, uh, the youth camp and there's like things and you're like, oh, okay, now there's something that I've learned since last week. I'd encourage you to share it. So here's the things. What do you, uh, what, what jumped out at you from today's talk? What, sorry, if anything, I learned from Gary. What, if anything, jumped out at you from today's talk? Uh, second, what do you think most contributes to your current identity? What do you think is like the, the factors that are, this is, this is why I think I am who I am. And then third, what things did you already know that God says about you? We showed that list, so maybe we'll put that up there again later. What, what, uh, what did you already know? And, and maybe which ones kind of were surprising to you? And then finally, those words, I am who you say I am. And, and, and not, just, not just that sentence, but the list of all of those things of this is who he says I am. Could you sing or say those with conviction? That, yeah, that's true for me. That is who I am. And I know it. Why or why not? And then if there's an opportunity to pray with one another, I encourage you to do so. So once again, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, we encourage you to circle up. There's rooms downstairs. If it's like it's too loud up here, no problem. It sounds like it's too loud down there too. So I'd go on the other, the other side. But uh, again, thank you. See you uh, next week. And otherwise, feel free to circle up here and, and uh, see what, he may, what more he may want to do and say in your lives. And uh, if I don't see you until next week, have a great one.